Hey, what's up everybody? This is Life Coach D coming at you with the Live Series. And today's subject matter is titled, A Real Conversation. There's a real conversation that must be had about lawlessness, systemic racism, police brutality, and all of the above. I'll be back to discuss this subject. Musical credit to Public Enemy. Stay tuned. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Life Coach D coming at you with the Live Series. And this particular subject matter is titled A Real Conversation. Let me say first off, if any of you are highly offended or quickly offended by things that pertain to race or race relations, this may not be the episode for you to listen to, but please don't take everything that I talk about conversationally as it pertains to the Live Series as one that always deals with racism. This particular episode, which I do believe will carry over to several episodes, We'll deal with that, and so if that's not a conversation that you're comfortable with listening to, then this may not be for you. The things that will be discussed in this uh, particular podcast subject matter will be institutionalized and structural racism. I will talk about colorism. I will talk about prejudice. I will talk about systemic issues of racism, even from a biblical perspective. And so if you're ready to dig in, if you're ready to go ahead and deal with the real realities of what is manifesting today in 2020 as a result of institutionalized racism, excuse me, then stay tuned because we're going to dig in to a real conversation. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Life Coach D coming at you with the Live Series. And this particular episode is episode two of A Real Conversation. Stay tuned. Chance has never satisfied the hope of a suffering people. Marcus Garvey. Hey, what's up, everybody? So let's dig right in. So the first episode, I dealt with a plethora of things. I started off spiritually and then I ended up all the way into the current civil rights movement. And I will get into the new Jim Crow here soon. But I wanted to backtrack just a little bit to talk to you guys about some former day protest that took place. So I will reference Acts 6 and please go read that on your own time. But essentially what happened was there was an uprising uh, of some things and people had begun to rise against uh, one of the disciples named Stephen. And with all of that being said, the way they handled that situation, it was a dispute. The way they handled the situation was they came together. They said, hey, we're not going to stop what we're doing. We're going to stay focused on the car that we have right now. But what we'll do is we'll elect several people to put them in noble positions of humble rapport. And we'll continue doing what we're doing. At the end of the day, it was discrimination going on back then. And some of the upper echelon people were being mistreated where some of the lower echelon people were um, being disregarded. And so instead of them ignoring that situation, they came together. Um, they strategically looked at the entire situation and they made a move and they put people together from all demographics and all uh, socioeconomical places. And then they made a decision in, uh, as to how things were going to proceed forward with all being represented. That story, if duplicated in today's time and dating back 401 years ago, would put have excuse me, could have put African-Americans on an even plane had people thought that that would work. But of course, that wasn't going to happen because. Uh, colonialism did not have any uh, black people in mind and they did not want black people to prosper in any way. So another thing I want to bring up is Martin Luther. Martin Luther was the first, as far as I can see, the first protester. He protested against the Catholic Church in 
1517, and it was October 31st, he nailed uh, what was called the 95 Thesis on the door of one of the bishops at the time. And he basically said, listen, what you're doing is wrong, and I'm getting ready to protest against it. And that protest led into who are the people who are the modern-day Protestants today. So the word Protestant literally comes from the word protest, and that was led by Martin Luther back in the day. So it's just funny that protests have always been around, but to know that um, there's bi biblical references that pertains to uh, protests um, I think is, is, is noteworthy and it helps people to understand. So once again, Martin Luther was one of the originators of the protest and over 2 billion people participated in that revolt. So that's just a little history lesson. I'll be back with more. Stay tuned. When people show you who they are, believe them. Dr. Maya Angelou. I would call this just bonus information. So continuing on as it pertains to the historical aspects of where black people have come from. And once again, I've spoken about this in the first episode and I talked about Noah having three sons and with Sham, Ham and Japheth. And of course, black people come from Ham and I uh, thought this was very noteworthy. So I'll give you this information. So Ham had four sons. It was Cush, Mizraim, Put and Canaan. So the descendants of Cush um, are the modern day people from Egypt. The descendants of Mizraim are the modern day Ethiopians. The descendants of Put, Libya. And finally, from Canaan, you get, um, well, let me make sure I pronounce this right, Levant slash Syria. And then you got Jordan, you also have Lebanon, and finally you have Israel. So that's just some bonus information that I want to get. So all of the descendants that come from Ham, which is by way of Noah, that is what we have. So as it pertains to just more clarity, understanding the color, uh, excuse me, understanding of colorism and um, ethnic prejudice, there's a huge difference. And so, as I said before, racism is, is something that's being misused, and I'll define that here coming up. But just remember, there's a huge difference. Um, more bonus information. You got to understand that if you go back and you trace those four individuals, um, you will find out that there's some information where there's uh, people who are um, from multiple places, but they reside in one place. What do I mean by that? The term African-American, I believe, is an improper term to use as it pertains to black people. In 1988, Jesse Jackson made a statement that he feels like blacks uh, should not be called black because the term doesn't properly uh, fit us. We should be called African-American. What I don't like about that is if you call me a continent and an American, then you need to specify where I'm specifically from. Unfortunately, black people can uh, really be traced back to our original origin. Uh, we know we're from Africa, but what part? We know that we may have some Irish in us, but what part? And so if white folks in America are not called whatever, whatever Americans, but they get to be called Americans, but Native Americans have to be called Native Americans. Hispanic Americans have to be called Hispanic. All of these labels are a part of the systemic, systemic race, racial structure. Um, that's the institutionalized aspect of racism. So they want to categorize and box people up. So just because Jackson, Je Jesse Jackson decided that's what we should be called, I'm not in agreement with that. I never have. When I go do applications, I check other. Because until all Americans are called American 
and not only white Americans, then we need to not go with that. That's tradition. That's something somebody says that we kind of go with it. On that note, I want to make two points. I'll talk about math here in a little bit, but I want to talk about Ronald Reagan. So it's so funny how um, the people who thought Colin Kaepernick was being disrespectful to the flag because he was taking a knee on, on behalf of black people being killed by cops. Here's the tradition of where taking off your hat has come from. And people need to know this because once, once again, ignorance is bliss. And these are things that we just kind of go with without doing our research. In 1984, Ronald Reagan was somewhere and he took it upon himself to take his hat off and put it over his heart. The people who are fighting and talking about patriotism being the thing where you take off your hat and remove your caps because of respect, that bullcrap came from Ronald Reagan doing it. People made it something that's patriotic and this is why people have that tradition. It has nothing to do with any other motive or any other thing other than Ronald Reagan did it in 1984 and so it became law. This is where ignorance runs, runs amok. And this is where ignorance runs awry because people don't do their research and they just do what they've seen done. Like I said before, we're channeled cattle and we just do whatever's being told. But that's the history behind taking off your hat, removing your caps, because Ronald Reagan did in 1984. Ronald Reagan did do, uh, anyway, uh, that's another. That's for another. That's for another podcast. But anyway, I just wanted to give you that history. And last but certainly least, I want to say two things. People don't understand that certain credit has been given to certain um, nationalities as it pertains to education and understanding. People think that the alphabet came from the Greeks, but the alphabet actually came from the Phoenicians. With the Phoenicians can be traced back to one of Ham's kids. Also, people think that. Um, Pythagorean theorem, although the credit has been given to the Greeks, that also can be traced, traced back to Egypt, which was Cush's son, which came from black folks. So keep in mind, if I'm the one driving the narrative, I'm always going to make sure that blacks are not promoted or given their proper um, proper props for what they've done and for their um, for what they've uh, done for the advancement of the of America and this in the world. And so just know that the alphabet did not come from the Greeks, it came from the for he excuse me, Phoenicians and that Pythagorean theorem a squared plus b squared equals c squared did not come from the Greeks. It came from Egypt. How do we know this? Because the pyramids were created by black folks. They were created by e Egyptians and that's where the original theorem came from. But you you give it to the white face, you give it to the Greek because White has always been right. White has always been promoted and everything else has been um, put down or not given credit. So that was bonus. I just wanted to add that and give that to you guys. So as I continue on, I wanted to bring up a few issues and talk about a couple of things that I think that have been huge misnomers over the years. And so um, here we go. So the word racism, it's amazing to me how this word is abuse is actually perverted um and prostituted and, and and pretty much all of the words that i just used to describe racism is it all comes down to a misuse so people talk about racism and they use it so loosely and everything is racist oh you're racist for saying that the black man over there was black or you're racist for saying the chinese over there was chinese that, that has nothing to do with racism um uh, speaking out somebody's ethnicity, ethnicity is just bringing clarity as to who that person is. But let me give you the definition of racism. Let me educate those who are listening so that you won't use this word in a, in a, in a, in a perverted way in the future. Because, you know, a lot of times people say things like, oh, you're a reverse racist or excuse me, a reverse racist. But no, let, let me give you the definition. So racism is the ability of one race of people to determine 
the economical destination of an entire race of people. Racism has nothing to do with the color of someone's skin. It has all to do with economical power and those who are in charge. I want you to remember that. The past week, you know, I've been hearing, I've been reading some very thoughtful posts and words from very smart people, some of whom say white people shouldn't be talking right now. They should be listening. And I get that. I don't disagree with that, but I'm the only one here and it's a talk show. So I want to share what I've been thinking about trying to sort through. And I know that a lot of white people bristle when they hear the word privilege, as in white privilege, because there are millions of white people who didn't grow up with money or a good education or a solid family background or maybe even a family at all. So when they hear the word privilege, they go, what privilege? I grew up with nothing. I I work hard. I earn what I have. Nobody gave me anything. You hear the phrase white privilege and it's easy to get defensive. I, the first time I heard it, I did. I, I did. To me, white privilege was what like Donald Trump had, a wealthy father and a silver spoon in his mouth. It wasn't what I grew up with. So I, I rejected it because I didn't understand what white privilege meant. But I think I do now. And I think I at least understand some of it. And here's what I think it is. So as it pertains to the definition that I just gave of, of racism, I wanted to give you guys something else to think about. When you can break everything down and you really stop, and one of the things that's being said right now is a lot of white people need to stop and listen instead of always trying to overtalk. Unfortunately, because the narrative have always been written for people of color, it's, a t it's at a place now and a time where now we're not trying to hear anything that you have to say. We really just feel like, White folks, young and old, should just stop and listen because if you listen, you will actually be able to hear some things that may help you understand what was going on. So with that being said, think about the word race, the word racism, the first four words race. And this came to me and I thought it was really cool as a coach, a track and field coach for many years, a former track and field athlete and a former runner. The word race literally begets a competition. And if you understand the power structure and if you really understand life, if you understand how this country was built and many other countries were colonized, you will understand it's always been about power, money and positions. So black people in this country, if you could define and understand this thing is a game or a race, a competition, it will make sense to you that when the race started, White folks was at the start line. If anybody is familiar with how a track looks, the white folks was at the starting line, but black folks were like at the 100 meter line or the 200 meter, 200, uh, 100, 200 meters behind. And this is how life started for us. We've always been behind. We were never given an evil, an even plane. We were never given an even opportunity. But we were we started off behind. So when you hear people say stupid stuff like, well, black people just need to pick themselves up by their bootstraps and, and, and make it happen. Or black people are lazy and they just don't want to do anything. I, I would remind anybody who's listening of this. I don't know when we became lazy, but I do know we built this country for free. And we went from no pay to low pay in a situation where the race was stacked against us. So I need you guys to remember that the word racism has all to do with economical power and position. And the, this, this whole thing has been a game that white folks have played to win when we started off behind. This is just something I need you guys to think about as, as we move forward.
I'll be back. Liberate the minds of men and ultimately you will liberate their bodies. Marcus Garvey. Hey, what's up everybody? So as I lead up to the new Jim Crow, I wanted to give just some basic history on some of the most prominent things that has happened throughout uh, America's history. One of the things that we know for sure, systemic racism has always been here and obviously we still see the remnants of it uh, today. Um, and so I'll just highlight a few things. The number one thing is the Tuskegee experiment. And that's where this country thought it was cool to inject black people with syphilis because apparently they thought that we were, were superhuman and we could deal with anything, which was just completely brutal. But this is also the same country that greeted the Native Americans with blankets that was diseased and full of smallpox. And so that's just the dichotomy of this country. One of the things that we don't necessarily want to talk about, we don't want to talk about how evil and how crazy and really sadistic this country is. And so, um, yeah, so that's that's one thing. Also, too, Emmett Till. Emmett Till was a huge uh, factor in this country's history where this man was beaten and killed and abused uh, because he was lied on about looking at a white woman. It's something about that lie that has gone on for years and years and years. got plenty of black, black people killed. But Emmett Till is another major um, fabric of, of racism and what has happened in this country. And so... Um, that's something that I think should be noteworthy too. So, uh, the next thing that I have here is obviously Dr. Martin Luther King, who was another martyr who was actually murdered because he began to, uh, question the validity uh, of economical advancement for black people. Like I said, in my last podcast, he got murdered, not because he had a dream it was because he told them the next time he takes a watch to marching or a march to Washington, he was the coming for the check. So that was, you know, obviously from 1955, like to roughly 19, you know, the mid to late 1960s. And so that was uh, a major deal. Muhammad Ali, another, uh, staple in our country. He was uh, completely uh, stripped of his belt because he stood up against the Vietnam War. And as I said before, uh, in, in different uh, platforms, and I said now, it's funny how America has always wanted to go tell everybody else what to do. when We had our own issues in this country and how hypocritical. And that's what Muhammad Ali was saying. He's like, how dare I go look at people or fight people that don't necessarily look like me, but have the same faith as me. You want me to fight, go out and fight for a country that when I come back home, don't even care for me. And um, of course, he, they didn't like that. He was an outspoken man. And so he paid you know, a price with his belt. Um, but he stood his ground and obviously respect and hands down for that. The next person is, uh, uh, the next persons that I'll talk about is the Olympic pose, a power fist pose, uh, the 1968 Olympics. And that featured Thomas, Tommy Smith and John Carlos. And they made a very conscious effort to let everybody know in the entire world, listen, we know that we matter. We're going to put up our fists and we're going to put the power fist up because we, we, we know who we are and black power. And they did that in the, in the first and third position, which is a gold medalist and as a bronze medalist. And so, um, it's something to be said about that. Um, fast forward to Rodney King, 1992, major, major, uh, things that happened with the 1992 riots, uh, in Los Angeles. And all this was because the cops beat the snot out of Rodney King. And this was the first actual recording that was taking place or had that had took place. Um, and that was actually able for able to be 
excuse me, put out there for the whole world to view. And obviously, if you know history, you know those men. Those men were acquitted. Acquitted. Excuse me, man. Am I talking? Those men. Those men were acquitted of any charges, and that's why you know pretty much Los Angeles was on fire, and um, they began to revolt. Because once again, this is not something new to black people. Um, and once again, I'll lead up to modern day here soon. Um, the next major thing I like to talk about is Colin Kaepernick. Here we are, in 2016. So you're talking from 1992 to 2016 when Colin Kaepernick was like, listen, I'm going to take a knee. You know, I'm going to use my platform as a means to, to really protest and say some things because in 2016, we're still seeing, you know, black men die. We're seeing black men die at the hands of cops. And I mean, he was persecuted. He was stripped of his position. Uh, people wanted him to shut up and go away. And that was 2016. And then obviously 2020 up to date, we see, you know, three people killed back to back to back in the hands of, uh, of, by the hands of law enforcement and that being um, Ahmaud Aubrey and then Breonna Taylor. And of course, what has struck, what we're dealing with right now today is George Floyd. So that's a little bit of history I just wanted to bring up and I'll talk about this a little bit more. I'll break some things down and go more specific, but those are definitely major fabrics of things that have happened throughout the years that pertains to the history of systemic racism and how we've avoided it and how this country has wanted to just shut it down and um, keep it quiet. I'll be back. To be a Negro in this country and to be relatively conscious is to be in a rage almost all the time. James Baldwin. Times reported Waters presented herself at the door of President Bush after learning she was not invited to a meeting about those very issues. She got into that meeting. And here she was in 1992 discussing another issue, meeting with then Attorney General William Barr. He was in the same post then as now, and he was overseeing the federal, federal civil rights investigation into the beating. We want the Justice Department to prosecute. We want them to move with all due haste. Perhaps that will help stem the tide of violence. In addition to that, we really do need to look at further how we can have laws in this country that will supersede some of these jurisdictions that in fact are racist and backwards and some other kinds of things who fail to prosecute officers who violate uh, human beings. Why do you think they were acquitted in a court of law? It is what America does not want to confront. It is racism, pure and simple. The anger that you see from young black males uh, in Los Angeles is an anger that's justified by the treatment that they receive simply because they are who they are. They're the color that they are. Why was it important to you then to... And then you wonder why we hollered Black Lives Matter and be ready to choke the piss out of anybody who want to tell us all lives matter. Well, show me where all lives actually matter. You're wondering why people are angry and why they can't just march nicely in the street holding up their signs in a single file line. Maybe that's why. I read something last night that I think makes a lot of sense. It's this, white privilege doesn't mean your life hasn't been hard. It just means the color of your skin isn't one of the things that makes it harder. So I very strategically and very purposely chose the quote that I did before the last few sound bites that I played. And as I told you earlier in the actual beginning of this episode, that I was going to use sound bites. And I wanted to show the different 
angles and areas of where anger has always manifested itself as it pertains to racial discrimination, police brutality, and systemic issues that date all the way back to the modern day policing that we see now today. Angry, angry. We hear all of these things about how black folks are angry and they're walking around with a chip on their shoulders and people have not given empathy at all. They haven't cared at all because it hasn't directly affected them. But yes, there's a lot of anger. There's a lot of hatred. There's a lot of bitterness that's going on because of systemic race and issues that have never truly been addressed. So if you wonder why people are angry and outraged, it was eloquently put by the poet that I quoted that to be a black man in this country is to be angry all the time. It is certain in any case that ignorance allied with power is the most ferocious enemy justice can have. James Baldwin. in America. And I'm so glad that as a child, I got an opportunity to spend time at PUSH where they taught me this, is that we must never forget that economics was the reason that black people were brought to this country. We came to do the agricultural work in the South and the textile work in the North. Do you understand that? That's what we came to do. We came to do the agricultural work in the South and the textile work in the North. Now, if I right now, if I right now decided that I wanted to play Monopoly with you. And for 400 rounds of playing Monopoly, I didn't allow you to have any money. I didn't allow you to have anything on the board. I didn't allow for you to have anything. And then we played another 50 rounds of Monopoly and everything that you gained and you earned while you were playing that round of Monopoly was taken from you. That was Tulsa. That was Rosewood. There are pla Those are places where we built black economic wealth, where we were self-sufficient, where we owned our stores, where we owned our property and they burn them to the ground. So that's 450 years. So for 400 rounds of Monopoly, you don't get to play at all. Not only do you not get to play, you have to play on the behalf of the person that you're playing against. You have to play and make money and earn wealth for them, and then you have to turn it over to them. So then for 50 years, you finally get a little bit and you're allowed to play. And every time that they don't like the way that you're playing or that you're catching up or that you're doing something to be self-sufficient, they burn your game. They burn your cards. They burn your monopoly money. And then finally at the release and the onset of that, they allow you to play and they say, okay, now you catch up. Now at this point, the only way you're going to catch up in the game is if the person shares the wealth, correct? 
But what if every time you, you share the wealth, then there's psychological warfare against you to say, oh, you're an equal opportunity higher. So if I played 400 rounds of Monopoly with you and I had to play and give you every dime that I made, and then for 50 years, every time that I played, I, if you didn't like what I did, you got to burn it like they did in Tulsa and like they did in Rosewood, how can you win? How can you win? You can't win. The game is fixed. So when they say why... So as you listen to this young lady... Pour her heart out with both conviction and passion as she revealed the strategies, the schemes, and we will call this the game or the race that this country started with and playing. And they've played this game unfair towards black people over and over again. For those who are simply still saying now at this point they don't get it, they don't understand. I would just have to say you don't want to understand because it's clear. History has been uh, written history has been made and continual systemic issues of race continual manifestation of systemic racism is right in front of us you just have to see it you have to want to accept it and you have to want to be a change agent to make sure that it stops now inequality and inequities have always been the jump start that black people got and this is why we're so far behind and now we're saying enough's enough and it's starting with all the systemic issues of race pertaining to black people and cops. But it's going to move forward into understanding and clarity and us demanding equality as it pertains to finances. Well, it has been many years uh, since Rodney King. And before that, I was confronting the then uh, chief of uh, Los Angeles police chief, Darrell Gates. And not a lot has happened uh, normally. Uh, when an officer kills even an unarmed person, usually a black man or a black woman, it is deemed justifiable homicide. But I want to tell you, I have a very special feeling about what is going on now. I believe that these young people in the streets are truly creating change. And I think we're on our way uh, to the development of laws and practices uh, that we have not been able uh, to achieve it, with all of the struggles that we've been in about law enforcement and the abuse and the targeting uh, and the killing of uh, blacks in particular. And so while there are many who are concerned about the protests, I don't think that people need to be concerned about the protests. People should be thankful because these young people are doing or what legislation has not been able to accomplish, or the ministers begging and praying have not been able to achieve, um, and goes on and on and on. And so because these young people said enough is enough, and they have hit the streets, and they're staying on the streets, I think that they have just opened up a new era in dealing with police abuse and with the killing of blacks uh, in mm. particular. So... I love America more than any other country in this world, and exactly for that reason, I insist on the right to criticize her perpetually. James Baldwin. I have been asked many times during this past few weeks if I'm in agreement with the protests, and the answer has been unequivocally yes.
I've said to them, yes, I am completely in agreement because something needs to be done. Now, typically, protest has not worked, but it's something a little different about this protest. And I agree with Auntie Maxine, who I just played a clip of. And something is a little special. What civil rights have not been able to do, what preachers have begged and prayed for have and, and have been unsuccessful in doing, something is different in the air. There's something different in this atmosphere. And although we have the same old okie doke and the same old playbook that the powers that be will try to do to interfere with what's going on, there are a focused people out there now. And I am 100% in support of them because this is how we're going to see change. I will strategically leave you with something that is thought provoking as I lead into the final episode dealing with this real conversation until you hear from me again remember your life is very valuable and peace be the journey well you've aptly summarized and eloquently articulated the broad sweep of history with a majestic arc uh, rooted in first the acknowledgement that black suffering in american society has been so deeply entrenched that it is taken for granted it is the very predicate for american progress the plantation, then Jim Crow as sharecropping, then separation of society, separation of education, has been the very basis for propelling America forward, white America that is, while black America is held in captivity. And so the deeply resistive strains of blackness in this culture that put forth arguments, ideas, and bodies to oppose the vicious and hurtful intensity of white supremacy are seen as exceptions to and not continuations of American democracy. So mm. that black bodies are alienated from the American scene, black traditions of resistance are seen as somehow exceptional, and black life and black death are seen in a vicious give and take and a cycle trading back and forth. So what we have to do is to acknowledge that this country in which we live has to examine as closely as possible the very roots of its democracy that are intertwined with its own captivity of black people, but the salvation of America cannot come without the salvation of black people. What James Baldwin, what, what Lorraine Hansberry, what Toni Morrison, what Martin Luther King Jr., what Septima Clark understood is that e pluribus unum is more than a credo. It means literally out of many, one. And if you have segregated some, if you have isolated others, you cannot have the full health of American society. Look at the pandemic of COVID-19 and look at the pandemic of COVID-16-19. White supremacy, social injustice, economic inequality joined together to the body. And in both instances, we can't breathe. We can't breathe because of police brutality and we can't bleed, breathe because of a pandemic of COVID-19. This is where oh. the convergence of the natural order and the convergence of our man-made laws have really worked deleteriously to the disadvantage of black people in this country. Only when we are able to embrace each other across that chasm and tell the truth about the way in which black death is a fetish. It is the pornography of black nothingness, of non-being, oh. which is being sought. America right. is addicted to black death, and this is part of the problem in American society.
So there you have it, an entire discussion on things that need to be said in a real conversation. I want you to remember what was said. Remember that if you're not a part of the solution, you're definitely a part of the problem. And if you're angry with what you see going on, you're probably guilty because you're not saying anything about it. Till you hear from me again, remember your lives are very valuable. Peace be the journey. Talk to you soon.